Barukata Adonai Eloheinu Melekaolam Asher Bakar bin Vim Tovim Veratza Vedivrehim Hane Emarim Beemet Barukata Adonai Haboker Batora Uv Moshe Avdo Uv Yisrael Amo Uvin Vie Ha Emet Vazedek Biskut Mashiach Keshua Amen Amen well, after a while, we are now back. Uh, this is Parsha Shlach. So we are going to Shlach and load and take it away with Aftara. Here we go. Uh, Rook Shem, we're in, uh, like Matt said, uh, Half Torah Shlach. And so uh, we're going to do a quick summary of our Half Torah and then kind of get into what we're going to be looking at this week. So. 2-1, Yehoshua 2-1, Yehoshua sends out the two spies who lodge in Rachav's house in Yeriko. Uh, verses 2 and 3, the king of Yeriko asks that they be delivered to him. 4 and 7, Rachav hides the spies and tells the king's messengers that they have escaped to the mountains. 8 and 14, she requests that the spies save her and her family at the time of the, of the future conquest. 15 to 21, she lets them out her window with rope and they confirm that they will save her and her family. And the last couple of verses are the, the spies return to Yehosha with their report. And it's a good one. Ruch Hashem. Amen. So that is the like a summary of our half Torah. If you haven't read it, then um, that's kind of it in a nutshell. Um, but just kind of a quick look at our characters. You know, we have four main characters. We have really Yehoshua. He's like the, the leader. He's the one who's who's sending out these spies into the land. Uh, then you have uh, the spies who are, you know, the rabbis all comment pretty much unanimously that this is Caleb and Pinchas, which is, they're like the perfect spies. Um, remember back into later, once we get into later in the book of Bomdibar, we see Pinchas and he slays Cosby and Zimri because they're doing a heinous act in the sanctuary of Hashem. And how he gets up in there is he acts like he's going to perform the deed with the rest of, you know, uh, Zimri's men. <laughs> and so he, he disguises as one of them, as a sinner. He, he holds the, like the spear in his jacket and cloaks it almost like a cane, you know, and, and then and slays them. So, and uh, of course, Caleb is one of the spies from our Torah Parsha. Our Parsha and... So these guys are like the best of the best. And, of course, we have Rachav, and uh, Rachav is the righteous Gentile who's longing for redemption. And it's kind of interesting that, you know, uh, according to Zebachim 116b, she was 10 years old when Israel left Egypt. And she was a harlot throughout the 40 years that they were in the, the wilderness. By the age of 50, she ended up converting and said, let me be forgiven in the mirror of the rope, the window, and the flax. Those are the things that she saved the spies with. And so, Bizar Hashem, we'll, we'll touch on that in a second. So, the things that uh, we really want to look at here, uh, kind of object, objective for this half Torah, is, one, we have this broad overview. And I believe this, this whole story is... A parallel to the Exodus. It is, and and then you have all these actually parallels, all like the holiday modim, and so we're gonna look at it through that angle. Uh, our next thing we're gonna go into is 
the question of the genealogy of Mashiach and and different aspects of that. And if we have time, third thing is like the titles of spies who are referred to as, as Khoresh. We'll kind of come back that way, but we might not have time for all of that, but we're definitely going to have time to the, the first two points. Come on. All right. So as far as it being like this Exodus story, it's incredible because you have, uh, first of all, Moshe in the, the Parsha, he, he says, are there any trees there? And it's always referred to as, are there any righteous people who would protect them through their merits? And so Moshe is looking, in a sense, to, to also, are there any people we can convert? And if we remember Yehoshua, the backdrop of that, before they even took the land, for those people who feel uncomfortable with the whole idea of them conquering the land and taking over, first of all, God gave them land. And second of all, Yehoshua actually sent out letters to the people saying, Hey, this, this land is ours. It was given to us by Hashem. And uh, here's what you can do. You know, you can either convert or you can leave the land. And if you stay, we will take it over. So that's and there will be the pretty much nothing left. So that's why the Shliakim sent letters to let, let everybody know the final redemption is coming. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> I love that connection. Yeah, I think that's part of it. You know, you could either side with Hashem or you could side against him. The choice is yours. Um, so and this is this is really like this parallels Exodus in the sense that, you know, Moshe went and and gave Pharaoh like all these warnings. Like, hey, look, we, we need to come out. Nice. We need to send send his firstborn out. Which, you know, those more letters to Sleeka. I should get there better at tagging. It's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was just going to say, uh, Moshe sent power letters too, because every plague was a letter on the staff. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> so there's that, you know, I mean, and just, you think about it. Um, cause there's a whole command to, if, if they don't convert, they don't leave what happens to them. They wipe them out every last one. Yes. And people sometimes going to come to with that, but we have to remember like during this time frame, like there wasn't, Judaism hadn't been established in a land to where it could influence the world like it has today. Pretty much all all the, the goodness in our cultures has been established from Judaism. Wow. All the justice has been established from Judaism. And during this time, there was no belief in, in one God. It was all these idols crafted by people. People were sacrificing their children. People were having, you know, just illicit relations left and right. Uh, and just it was like a chaos like if you ever seen any apocalyptic movies, it was like ten times worse than that over there, and so huh. you know you're you're looking at doing the world a favor. If they don't change, if they don't leave, then you're looking doing the world a favor by you know taking them over and establishing the Jews within the land. Wow. So, just a little side note, little apologetics note, um, and it's interesting that you know he converted before he crossed the Yarden. He converted. Right. He didn't convert. He, he circumcised everybody. Right. This is what happened before they left Egypt. They're circumcised. Yes. And it's interesting that you know he sins. You have Yehoshua, who's in in the sense representing like Hashem, who sends two people on a mission to redeem redeem people from Jericho. Get you some. He sends Caleb and Pincus. This is like Aaron and Moshe. Two Mashiachs. Yes. 
And so you have, you know, Moshe, who's like the redeemer, like like David. This is the lineage of Caleb. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Pincus is actually a descendant of Aaron. Mm. And he was given the covenant of Shalom. And Aaron was known for, for establishing Shalom and peace between people. Love it. King and, and Rahav, Rahav is this righteous Gentile longing for the redemption. And uh, you have her her name is actually equal in Gematria to 210, which is how long the children of Israel, Israel were in Egypt. Nice. And it, it hints at something because, uh, like Egypt, Mitzrayim is bondage. Mm-hmm. And Rahav's name means like an opening, a widening, a broadening. And this is really what was inside of her. Like we had earlier when she was 10, you know, when the Israelites left Egypt. And for 40 years, like she was in, stuck in harlotry, literally stuck there. And there's, there's kind of, you could kind of insinuate that she was there really to provide for her family. And she later mentions that she cared for her family so much. But, um, uh, and it's, it's mentioned that, like all these leaders of all the Canaanites would actually come and 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 see her, and uh, it's interesting that you could just imagine. And it's mentioned in some commentaries that they always promised to give her a better life, to get her out of here, but they never came through in that promise. Hmm. And so here she is; she's longing in her heart is like this this desire for it to be released, as an opening to be released from this Mitzrayim, this bondage that she's in. And so here she she sees when she sees these spies coming, right? These two redeemers, if you will, like Moshe and Aaron, the Exodus story. She's like, here's my chance to become part of the people. And it's interesting to note that you know the her whole her whole point of redemption, her whole point of longing to be free from her mitzrayim, her her bondage, her constriction, was to essentially convert to be part of the Jewish people. Just like, what's up? Go ahead. I was going to say, because that's what a righteous Gentile does. They convert and become part of the Jewish people. Yes, exactly. And that was the whole point of the Exodus. Mm. It was to, to receive the Torah. Amen. Right? To, to receive the covenant, which is what she was essentially, like, that was the whole point of her wanting to be redeemed. Because she understood there's only one righteous group of people in the entire world. Wow. She's seen the filth of the entire world. It's, it's mentioned in the Talmud that, uh, there wasn't one of the nation's rulers who hadn't visited her. Wow. And so she's seen every single nation. And so these people out there, just kind of practical note, because this is so early on, probably forget it for practical takeaways. Um, you know, people, there's people out there who are like, okay, well, how, how do you trust the Jews and the, and the rabbis? And you have different things. You have, you know, the, the Hebrew roots, is especially big about anti-rabbinism. You have Messianic Judaism, which many of them are anti-rabbinism, uh, rabbinics. You know, and you have Israelite groups out there. And there are so many people, and, you know, Christians especially, you know, the whole people are anti-rabbis, anti-the sages. Well, it's just interesting because it mentions here that there was not a single ruler who did not visit uh, Rahav. And... All you think about it, okay, someone who doesn't stem from a Jewish lineage, it says all, essentially all your ancestors or the king of those people, they all made false promises, Rahav, and they, they made promises that they never came through with. The only people who could be trusted and who kept their word 
were the two Jews who showed up there. Man. And so it's just interesting. Here's a woman who's experienced like every single nation and their false lot, their, their, their false promises, their lies, their deceit, their say, Hey, we're going to redeem, we're going to redeem you. We're going to, we're going to bring you salvation. Hey, look, you know, here's our religion. You know, this is going to be good for you. But the only people who actually came through in the promises was the Jewish people. The only people who had a faith system that really supported her to, to, to open up and receive the blessings of the one true God is the Jewish people. And so just a point of uh, kind of apologetics once again of how, you know, the rabbis should be the one trusted because we're the ones who have the history of trust. Well, that keeping is promises. Not, that is not a practical takeaway. That is a practical throwdown. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there's that. Um, I'm sure there's, you know, so many more, more parallels to that, but uh, we'll kind of move on to this, this next part because what happens after that, this is not really, next part isn't really inner half Torah. It's the idea of what happens to Jericho after that. Mm. And they, they circle around Jericho and there's all these numbers of seven. Yes. Right. The seven shofars, you know, the seven times they circle around and you know what, and this was actually during the counting of the Omer when Yehoshua did that we'll get you and the count Omer. What do we do? You know, there's seven, there's seven, uh, attributes or characteristics, if you will, for seven days um, each. Yes, seven days each, seven weeks that we work on. And it's interesting that, you know, the halakha and the way that even the Sador is, is written, they use a little note in there that says, um, after the counting of Omer, many congregations recite the Elenu immediately. Mm-mm. And what's in the Elenu? Who composed the Elenu? Yehoshua. And Yehoshua composed Elenu, and as he hid his name in there. And even more interesting is he, he composed it before he went over to Jericho. So you can imagine this might have been one of the things he chanted to cheer the cheer them in and give them hope and inspiration Get for the battle. <laughs> and and another interpretation of that is is uh, the second paragraph was composed by Achan because his name is the first letters of the first three words of the second paragraph. Wow. And this was the guy who went in there, he, he defied the ban, and he took belongings from Jericho. Wow. And so, you're looking at the, the whole whole story of the, the Omer, what do we do? We, we bring up the, uh, like our character traits, we, we evaluate them, hey, what's bad, what's good? What am I going to dis- destroy? On my character traits, what negative character traits do I have that I'm going to destroy that doesn't match up with what I need to develop, and what character traits I'm going to I'm going to try to flourish from this and try to work on, and this is what happened at the fall of Jericho. There's most of it fell down, but there is a place that stood standing. That was Rachab's house, and wow. so it just parallels the good character traits and bad character traits we work on. Thank you some. May I throw in a little tag? Yes, go for it. All right, just Jewish wisdom in the numbers. So the Canaanites corrupted the seven primary forces of good and creation throughout their idolatrous occupation. So this is why, again, they needed to be removed. We were doing the world a favor, as you so beautifully elucidated. It says the Jewish leader, Yehoshua, had to conquer and consecrate the land. 
Yeshua had to consecrate the land. <laughs> yes. uh, yeah, the land is likened to a human body, by the way. That's why there were seven nations that needed to be removed, like our seven Medot that needed to be destroyed and rebuilt. Uh, so then it says the first phase of this campaign was the seven year war to besiege the land. His first major offensive was the siege of Jericho, the town that was considered the symbolic lock, the symbolic lock of the Holy Land. Jericho is the key. OK, so it says the walls of Jericho sank into the ground following the circuits around the town on seven successive days, culminating in seven circuits by the ark. Hashem himself, because Hashem is the ark, <laughs> circled on the seven circuits. And it says the seventh day with the seven priests holding seven shofarot. The second phase of the occupation was the seven-year consecration of the land. Here, the seven levels of defilement were purified and converted into a bastion of holiness to become the Jewish homeland. That's it. Wow. That's, you can't end that with just saying that's it. <laughs> that's not right. <laughs> well, now you know how I feel when you're driving in. It's like... <laughs> Back to you, Bob. <laughs> well, okay, well. <laughs> Corresponding in the field. You know, you mentioned these, 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 uh, the Canaanite nations as like these seven, like, forces. Yes. And I think it's an allusion also, you know, in, when Yeshua says Luke, in Luke 11, uh, 26, well, 25, returning it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. That's and they true. enter and settle down there. As a result, the person's last condition is worse than the first. Yep. Exactly. Spot on right there. Beautiful. Yes. Wow. <laughs> and so, <laughs> no, but, you oh, oh, uh, well, go ahead. <laughs> I just said, no, you didn't just do that. <laughs> Had to be done. No. <laughs> yeah, it did. Big Shem. Go ahead. Oh. I forgot. I left something out about the Exodus story. Oh, so back. Who, who does are. who does he send in? Yehoshua. Who does he send in? Caleb and Pinchas. Caleb and Pinchas. Look at uh, Caleb. Uh -huh. That is also the same letters as dog. Okay, and Pinchas. This can make sense in a second. Second, and Pinchas can be seen as two words. You know, the, the psalmic and his name can be changed for a, a shin, which would be P. Like mouth oh, and then Nahash, which is serpent. Snap. Where have we heard those two creatures before? The dog and the serpent. Yes. These are the animals that were instrumental or played a, like a key part in the Exodus story. You know, and specifically what connects them is, you know, you have Caleb, the dog, P, the mouth, and the Nahash. So you have the mouth of the dogs. The dogs couldn't, like, wouldn't even bark when they wet their tongue against Israel, you know? And then you had the mouth of the serpent, and you look at Moshe's staff. Yeah. His staff turned into, like, a serpent, and then his staff ate with its mouth all yes. the other, <laughs> yes. all the other staffs. Yeah. And so these were, these were the, the uh, animals, if you will, you know, creatures, if you will, that were instrumental in the redemption. Mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation. Get you some. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so, you know, so here's here's our Pesach story. Here's our, our our 
Exodus story. All right. And then we have the Omer, Got and the then you have Shavuot. Oh. And Shavuot is all about, you know, the given the Torah, it's considered a marriage ceremony, right? Right. It's where two two worlds collide, like the spiritual and the physical realms collide. Like and the Shabbat. Just insane, like the Shabbat. And and it's after Omer, Omer, Omer goes, you know, 49 days, and then we count the... 50th. 50th day. And Yehoshua, Yehoshua bin Noon, and Noon by itself is 50. And it gets better. How do you know? Uh, and then it also connects to Rahav because it says at the age of 50, she oh, converted. Oh, my goodness. And so you have this connection between Yehoshua bin Noon, the 50, and the 50 years that Rahav was when she converted. And the sages mentioned that you know they end up did getting did get married. They did get married. Shavuot. Shavuot. And so there's our marriage Shavuot story. And so, so the this two this loaves. whole what's that? The two loaves. Wow. Yehoshua Rakov. The, the fifties. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Dude, man. That's good. You were saying continue please. No, <laughs> love that. <sighs> wow. <laughs> so you know, it just it's just interesting. Yehosha has has these people come in, and it's like this huge exodus story. It ends this marriage, and so you might be saying, okay, well, you know, those of you who are very familiar with your uh, Basura in Matthew one five, you're like, okay, well, you said Rachav married Yehoshua. Right. And but I read in my Masora that, you know, Rachav married Solomon. Mm. So what's up with that? What is is there an error? What's going on? Well it's very interesting because it mentions in Seder uh Alam look for it here. Yep, it mentions in Seder Olam Rabbah that Solomon was among those who entered the land of Israel and mentions explicitly that he died after Yehoshua. Mm. And a few few things few things to that. I'm going to read just everything about him. It says, uh, Solomon, Tov, and Elimelech were brothers with Rabbah 6.3. And this one's interesting. We'll touch on that in a, in a little bit. From Baba Batra 91a, Elimelech, Solomon, Ploni Almoni and Naomi's father were all sons of Nachash, son of Aminadav. Wow. Okay. Oh huh. So, something he mentions also in the uh, in the Midrash Hagadol Chayser ninety four. It mentions that. Rahav is an ancestress of none other than King David, just like Ruth, and therefore, by extension, an ancestress of the Mashiach. Mm. And it mentions it also goes on to compare her um, to to Ruth, like her she had very Ruth-like actions. Wow. And so, you know, there there are some interpretations, um, just as a, as a disclaimer, that say that the Rahav is a different Rahav than what's in. You know, our Torah Porsche, but according to the Midrash, Rahav is an ancestor of David. 
But how can that be when she married Yehoshua, who has no connection with the Davidic line? Or does he? Does he? <laughs> so here's the question. Mm. And so here's here's the idea. Based on, uh, it says Solomon lived after, right? Mm-hmm. Lived after Yehoshua. And it mentions specifically that he died. And so what happened to Rahav after after Yehoshua died? What happened? So theoretically, you know, she's 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 unmarried now. You know? Oh my goodness. And you know, and using colloquial terms, she's on the market. <laughs> you know, and so you know, theoretically, and this is one point that I'm gonna try to try to prove here with a little bit of reasoning and uh, some different principles that she actually married Salmon after Yehoshua died. And through this, the David Davidic line was was established. Wow, I'm thinking Leverite marriage ish. <laughs> so you're head, you're a little ahead of the game, but we're actually going there. Going to your boom in a second. <laughs> you <And> boom. So, <laughs> wow. So you boom. <laughs> okay. So little recap on generally. So Solomon Yehoshua, they would have lived at the same time according to the time frame. And Solomon, and according to Matthew 1.5, Solomon married uh, Rahav, and they had Boaz. And it's kind of interesting because Boaz, you know, you, you don't read a lot about his mother, like what happened there. Yeah. And it's just like this this deep mystery, but here they live in the same time period, and then here the, the Basura says they married each other. Wow. And so what's interesting take it back to Baba Bacha 91a where it says Naomi's father were all sons of Nachash were all sons of Nachash uh, not Nachash Nachshon son of Aminadav his and, name does mean Nachash by the way yeah Nachash and then it's like a Vav and a Noon yep um, but what's interesting about that is that means if Solomon was to actually you know marry this convert then that would put him in a very, very interesting position because Boaz was his son. He also married a convert, Ruth. Right. And so I'm, I'm thinking, you know, could this be why Naomi was so stressing the, fa- or so stressing the fact that Ruth married Boaz? Oh. She says, "Hey, look, his father married a convert. You know, how much more so would would he marry you? He he'd be following in the footsteps of his his father." Mm. And so you have this this also this idea that you know you know you're more likely to marry someone right who who have you you've seen like attributes in your your family and so like for example Moses Moses was an example of this Moses also married a convert mm. and who raised him mm. Pharaoh's daughter a, the first convert the first like righteous convert oh. according according to uh, many interpretations you know and so you have this pattern, and so here's Naomi, a very wise woman, and she says, okay, look, Moshe was the, the son of a convert, and he married a convert, Zipporah, and Solomon, you know, he he married a convert, you know, going with the, the interpretation that he married Rachav, mm-hmm. and so here's Boaz, it, it's, for, it's fitting perfectly up for you, here's your chance, he's the guy you want to go after, and on top of that, he's already showing signs of interest in you, go for it. <laughs> so I think there's there's kind of like a, a, a 
a slight proof and you know why Naomi would have been would have been pushing her towards Boaz. Why was she so confident that uh, Boaz would be her kinsman redeemer? And because wow. if he had that image of his his mother being a convert and his father married a convert, then he would have been very very likely to do that as well. And it continues with Melek Shlomo marrying Natma, a convert from Amon. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you, just went, you just went way down the lineage. We're up here. You just went whoosh. <laughs> so this has been connecting the dots with uh, Shomer Man and Aziz. <laughs> uh, so you mentioned this thing about you, boom. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. And so it's very interesting because Yehoshua is, is this awesome, mysterious figure. Right. You know, because it's it's been noon, okay? What it, what's that about? Yeah, what's the deal? Who who is noon? That's that's the question. Who is noon? He's fifty. <laughs> He's fifty. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the there's this idea um, that you know Yosef he had. It says him and Rachav actually had children. Right, hmm. they they didn't have any any male children, Only but they had all, all 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 women children, and there's actually you know they mentions there's like all these prophets and priests actually stint from their marriage, but he didn't have any men, men children, which means he didn't really fulfill the mitzvah to the extent you you're required by halacha of of being fruitful multiplying mm. having one one boy and one girl at least you know one of both sexes. Mm. But the, the 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 problem here is that you know he wouldn't be obligated with yibum, at least not in the physical sense, right? Because in order to have yibum, you you can't have any children. Wow. And so in a, in a in the physical sense, you know he he he, you know Solomon wouldn't be the king's been redeemer, if you will, or the king's been redeemer, if you will. Right. But there is a remez. To him actually being the king, the kinsman redeemer, you boom, live right marriage. Do say, and it has to do with who Noon is. Oh snap! So check this out. Yehoshua's been Noon, right? right? And so in order for this whole redeemer process to take place, Yehoshua and Solomon have to be. There has to be allusion to them being brothers. Now, of course, in a, in a physical sense, just a little disclaimer: physical. Literal sense, part S level, you know, Yehoshua, it's mentioned he is from the tribe of Ephraim, so he's like Yosef, and Solomon's tribe of Yehuda, and so they wouldn't necessarily be brothers according to what the Torah says, but there is a Remez level here that alludes to something very deep. And it comes down to, we, they have to be brothers. So Yehoshua ben Nun, so Nun, this guy called Nun, we have no idea who he is, very mysterious, is Yehoshua's father. Right. And... Who is Solomon's father? It's Nachshon. Oh. Now, and that you know, what do you know about the letter Noon? What do I know about it? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I know the Gematria, and I know it has to do with Yinon, which is the name of Mashiach. Yes. Uh, that's that's awesome. Oh, is it uh the fish Aramaic for fish? Yes. Okay. Yes, the fish. Okay, and so Nachshon has a very, very famous story. It's uh, from the Talmud and Sota, and story it's about crossing time. the Red Sea. <laughs> well, 
don't know if it's an SB. I don't know if it's long enough to be a story time. Oh, but okay. <laughs> mini <love> drop. <laughs> mini drop. So Nakshon, everyone's at the Red Sea, and what does Nakshon do? I'm first. I'm first. Me first. Get out of way, I'm Benjamin. first. He jumps into the water. He's the first in the in the in the sea, right? Yeah. The very first in the sea. You know, and and right there, right there, he's like already drawn to the water. What creature lives in the water? Fish. A fish. Even look at his name. Take the first letter noon and the last two letters vav and noon. This spells noon. Right. And you have the chet and the shin, and this is actually used in Habuch, uh, uh where it's he mentions it's as the word for like haste, like there's a there's a hurry. And mm-hmm. what did he do? He hurried in the water. Right. So you have the word for fish, the idea of a fish, and hurrying in the water. Okay? Wow. So this is how Nakshon can be related to Noon, but it really doesn't stop there. Because we've proved that, hey, he, that he has these allusions to this fish, you mm-hmm. know, but here we have Salmon, and it's interesting because we have, it's, Salmon is Shin, Lamed, Min, Vav, Noon. Ooh. And I'm going I'm to sing part of a, a kindergarten song, okay, and I want you to finish the the, the last word, okay, and you're gonna know it. All right. Okay, here we go. Lamed <laughs> min noon. So here you have Solomon's name, Shin Lamed Mim. What's the next letter that's alluding to? Noon. Noon. Good okay, but it doesn't that. stop there. The letter mim, because you're like, okay, well, that's not really anything. You know, his, that's a mim. There's no really noon there. Okay, that's cool. But but what about some real documentation? Well, it's interesting because the, the letter mim can only be interchanged with one other letter. Oh. According to our sages. Do you know what that is? Is it a noon? <laughs> it's a noon. Wow. So, with, with if you interchange the min, which is and with a noon, with the principles that the rabbis do all the time, and you'll see it throughout certain commentaries, you you now have shin lamid, noon vav noon. Split this up into two words, you get shell noon, which is of noon, aka bin noon. He is the product. He is the offspring of noon, and so. You know, like Rabbi said in one of his last drashes, you got to follow the bouncing ball. Right? Good. So you have Yehoshua ben Noon, and then Salmon can be noon. interpreted to Sel Noon, of Noon, ben Noon as well. Oh. So Salmon's dad is Noon. Uh, Yehoshua's dad is Noon, according to this Ramez, like a, the spiritual sense. So they have the same father, which means they're brothers. Get it. And the so, Targum does agree with you as well that noon is the yes. only letter. So yes, get it. Man, wow. and I have to thank you for introducing that that source. Uh, by the way, it was it was a couple, maybe a few Shabbos ago, uh, Sukkot ago. Well, Bavakasha, yeah. you're using it very very well. <laughs> so. You have this, and of course, like I said, disclaimer. This is not like a, on a, a little level, but there's there's more multiple levels of the Torah, like as we uh, interpretation of the Torah, and this is on a Ramez level. So they're both the son of noon. We already proved Nachshon. He was like a noon. He jumped in the water, meaning with haste. Right. So they're both been noon. They're both sons of noon. Man. So what this means, 
is, and, and, and it doesn't stop there, right? Because the Midrash and Midrash Korat, Midrash Rabbah Korat, it mentions this idea of uh, if you see two noons together, it alludes to Yaakov, Yaakov Avinu. Oh. And so if you're saying, okay, but hey, one's from the tribe of Yosef and one's from the tribe of Jehuda, so you know, you're still a little speculative. Okay, got something for you. The Midrash says that two noons is Yaakov. So let's now look at Yehoshua as from the tribe of Yosef, the son of, the son of Yaakov. Oh. And let's look at Salmon as from the tribe of Yehuda, who's also a son of Yaakov. Oh. And so right here where you have another remez to this whole brothers. And it's interesting that, you know, Yosef, in the eyes of his father, you know, dies. Yes. And so he would be in a need, because he died without children, he'll be in need of a, you know, kinsman redeemer. That's right. So, if, if he had a wife, though, but just go with like these these patterns that are showing up that is so what does it tell us <laughs> so you know Selah on that on that moment and let's go back to this whole idea we proved that they, they there is this idea of them being brothers we proved this idea of who is this mysterious noon and it's allusion to uh, Nachshon who is the one who like a fish jumped into the sea with haste right, right. and so if Rachel married Yehoshua and there they are in Solomon and Yehoshua are brothers and Yehoshua dies, Solomon has an obligation to what? The Leverite marriage. Leverite marriage. And what is the whole idea about this? To they perpetuate the name of the deceased. Perpetuate the name of the deceased. Who is the name of the deceased in this case? The name greater than any other name. Yeshua. <laughs> Yeshua. So here we have this idea with Rachav's marriage to Salmon, right? There's this idea that through the Messianic lineage, there's one name that's perpetuated through it, and that is Yeshua. Good night. And so I believe this is the allusion to the mysterious. Why, why is Yehoshua's name so mysterious? Why is his lineage so mysterious? <laughs> you know, and so... This is the whole idea. So if you're if you're reading your your you know Basora and you're like, okay, well, you know, there's there's hope. It's not it's not like the slide. There's there's a, a connection between these these two these two people these two ideas. Wow. And so, you know, you also if you're looking at the, the idea of Yosef and Yehuda, then it's really interesting because we talked about earlier how. The whole story of the spies was Exodus story. Well, I mean, you're 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 a scholar. You're well studied. Tell me, why did we end up in Mitzrayim in the first place? Because we didn't want to go back home. Because we loved all of our stuff. The land was so awesome. We had all these good things back in Goshen, and we didn't want to go home. I agree with you. There's an incident that took place before that, though. Before. Going back to Yaakov's sons. Oh, the uh, the funeral where they buried Yaakov. Not that far back. Not that far back. <laughs> anyway, not, not that far forward. Okay. Oh. Okay, go ahead. So instant, the instant with the brothers and Yosef. They were exiled. Partly they're exiled there because of their baseless hatred to Yosef. 
Oh, go way back. Okay. So yeah, way way back. <laughs> Baseless so, hatred. There's too many interpretations. So you gave all the right answers. It just was the one for this particular this wasn't interpretation. This was the one we were looking for. <laughs> yeah, this is not the one you're looking for. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. So the whole root of the excess, why they're in bond in the first place, is because selling Yosef. All right. Was that forty? That's forty. Finish, let's okay. finish our point, though. Okay. There's a whole soul, Yosef. And so in saving Rahav, in, in, in saving her, it's almost like they made it to Kuhn for the whole Exodus story that they were in there in the first place. Wow. So they went through this whole Exodus story with, with um, <clears throat> you know, redeeming Rahav, making the promise there, spying out the land, and then the buildings crashed, he married Yehoshua, and then through that whole process, it's, you know, it's like they went back to the root issue and they were able to make this whole tacoon for this instance that took place. Wow. Through and so they literally uprooted, literally, the foundation of why they're in Mitzrayim. Wow. Wow. Well, Baruch Hashem, that is all the time we have for our insights today. And we are now entering into practical takeaways. But before we do so, Chasis, Toda, Toda, Rabah, Yashur Koak, what's wrong with you? Get some help. I've already called the police. Everything you said was ridiculous. And okay, here we go. Now, practical takeaways. All right. So you want to start? Uh, sure. Yes, I would love to. Okay. Um, I would like to take us to the distinguished gentleman known as Shaul Hashliak. Um, when he wrote to Colossi in chapter two, he says, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may be, that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Mashiach. I want to bring up mystery of God, fullness of riches, completeness of understanding, encouragement of heart, and echad ahava, united in love. Which is funny because that's like a double uh, positive because Echad is united, which is 13 in Gematria. Ahava is love, which is what unites people. And that's also 13. So you got this 1313, which really would be 26, which is the name of Hashem. So really, you can look at this. May they be encouraged in their Lev, which the Lev is the Torah, the heart of God, with the name of Hashem, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. So if you have the Torah and you have the love of God, that gives you fullness and encouragement. That gives you riches and understanding. Also, this is the precursor to understanding the mystery of Hashem, which is found in Mashiach. So why are people so like thrown off that we have a divine Mashiach? Why are people so thrown off Yeshua can't be the Mashiach? Well, let's go back to the prerequisites and let's connect all those dots. And then we can come back and talk about that later. But since 
everyone in this room right now, these lovely uh, listeners and, uh, you know, all the Lapinics, basically, uh, we are looking at what we just talked about in the Haftarah about this mystery that surrounds Yeshua, which literally is Hosea, but Moshe renamed him and gave him that name that is called Yeshua. So through Hosea taking on the name of Yeshua, that allowed him to be the conquering king that he was and to perpetuate Moshe and for him to have his name preserved throughout the lineage. There's basically a Yeshua overlay, which is what connects Yosef with Yehuda. You know, and so literally Yosef is all about adding because of the, the root Yosef or Esaf is how it means to add. And then you have Yehuda, which is all about Thanksgiving. And it is written in the Basora that there is no greater rejoicing in Hashemayim over a sinner who makes Shuvah and enters into the kingdom. So you have this idea of adding and gratitude, Thanksgiving and rejoicing all right there through the two Mashiachs. So this whole thing about the mystery that surrounds Yeshua, his name being perpetuated, and it literally comes through Moshe. So the only way we really know about Yeshua at all, we even get introduced to Yeshua, is from the mouth of Moshe, which is the mouth of Hashem, because Moshe only spoke what Hashem told him to speak. He didn't speak his own words, and even when he did speak his own words, it was the Shekinah that was speaking through him. So what does that say? So anyway, um, I just love that whole beautiful drop about the mystery of Yeshua and perpetuating your brother's name and tikkuning the sale of Yosef and getting out of exile. So may it be so for all of us that we continue to tikkun the basis hatred with basis love and have Hashem on our lips with Lashon Kodesh and may we experience the final redemption speedily and soon in our days. So, absolutely love it. Uh, you know, and, and and getting to this this whole idea you're talking about this Yeshua overlay, and it it's just very interesting that you know you have this Yehoshua down here, and he, he goes into the lineage. Essentially, you have Yeshua perpetuating the lineage, and it's it's interesting because it's like you know could could well first of all let's let's get a couple points. Okay. Um, you have. Tamar, right, through the lineage of Mashiach, Tamar and Yehuda, okay, and Tamar is what? The She's a daughter date tree. She's, oh, yeah. Oh, that's that's actually beautiful. Oh, you yeah. said date tree, okay. <laughs> no, but I'm really glad you said that, because that, that was, that's good for, never mind, there was a whole other study that I was kind of going to get into, and that actually helps me with a certain point. So, okay, okay. okay. Um, but you know, she's date tree. And so this, this parallels the whole feast of, of Sukkot, oh. right? The date tree is used for so many things in the festival of Sukkot. Oh, and love it. later on, it goes into the next scandalous woman. Cause remember tomorrow was like a dressed up like a harlot. And then it comes to the next, next one in Mashiach's lineage, which is Rachav. Mm-hmm. And she's a harlot, not just dressed like one. She, she actually is because she, she got trapped in that environment. And, and what's interesting is where was she trapped in? She was trapped in Yericho, 
Mm. But what is Jericho known in according to Devarim? It's the city of date trees. Oh. And now. keep going. We have Yehoshua's lineage being per- per- uh, perpetuated through that, right? His name. And what was Yehoshua given? He was given the Yud. And so I'm just saying, you know, we, we, we speak of this whole idea of, of the, the date trees, the, the Sukkot, and we have Sukkot on Sukkot, right? Sukkot, right? Right. And we have a special blessing uh, that we say in the Sukkot prayer book. It says, and and when, especially when we do Birkhan Zoh as well, rise, raise up the fallen tent of David. That's right. And David has a Yud in a name. Mm. Could the Yud of Yehosha be the, the Yud that raises up mm. the, the name of David? The mm. fallen sukkah of David, and you know, just just posing a question there, interesting kind of uh, correlation, There's and an also you know it, it. Okay, go for it. The answer comes from the Kol Hatur, which talks about the whole purpose of Yeshua ben Yosef is to reestablish and make a throne for King David. Wow! <laughs> so, there's that. So. Awesome. Throw that first words that out. You know, I, I've I've heard you mention, you know, um, Sukkot as Yeshua's birthday, and this would just be more oh, proof of that. Because all the women who birthed the Mashiach had this revelation to these date trees, right? Yeah. Like what we do on, on Sukkot. And, you know, Larry says he made his tabernacle amongst us, his, his, his sukkah amongst yeah. us. Wow. And so just the illusion that, you know, would be possibly, you know, if anything, his, his birthday would be on Sukkot. Right. <laughs> so um, on a few practical takeaways, we have this idea of uh, their, their names. They have Yehoshua sent out Caleb who sent and who Pincus went with them, and they brought back Rahav. And so you look at that, Yehoshua ben Nun is interpreted being, like Bina, like because he understood things very well. Mm. Right? Right. And then you have Caleb, which he meant, it mentions that he was 80 when he went in, and there's a vote that says you gain special strength when you're 80, and the word is Gavura. Mm. Okay, and Gavura is right underneath Bina. Okay, in the Sephardic uh, uh, system. Mm. And then you have Pichas, which was given the covenant of Shalom. And you have Rachav, who was brought in wide. And so, um, kind of pieces together in a way that's going to make a little more sense. We, you know, we all want the blessings of Hashem. We all want our, our you, know, you know, to have either, you know, the what we desire, where that's like a better uh, job, more Torah study, more shalom within ourselves, more shalom with our families, you know, just understanding what to do. And this is the system of how to go about that. There has to be being, there has to be understanding. You get that from, you know, the, the Torah, diving the Torah. And wow. there has to be understanding. Once you have the understanding, you go to Gavura. There's things you have to be strict on. There's things you have to restrict yourself from. You're like, okay, no, I, I, I can't go out and I, uh, I need to, I need to pray. Okay. Well, Hey, I, I can't eat at that restaurant because that's not kosher. I can't get this because that's not kosher, you know, or, you know, whatever that may, may be, um, you know, or if, if someone makes you, makes you angry, you know, you could, 
you could go off and go with your feelings on from right then, but that's going to cause damage in the long run. Or you could show Gavora, you could show this restriction, mm. and that's going to bring what? Who came after that? Pinchas, the one who was given the covenant of Shalom. Mm. And so we, we, and what came after that? Once we had that Shalom, right? It says Shalom is, is, is the vessel that contains all bracha, according to sages, which is why we end all our prayers in Shalom. And then we have rachab, which is the opening, like this wide open blessing that comes through. And so if we, if we can get that pattern down to the lives, we could, we could see the blessing of Hashem in our lives. But we have to be understanding the Torah. That means we got to be diligent about studying it. We got to be willing to say no to this and restrict ourselves. And, and whether that's reacting off of emotion or reacting off a of desire, restricting that based off understanding, and that will lead to shalom in our lives and in turn blessings, because oh, shalom is is the vessel that contains all blessings pieces. Mm. Um, this other idea we mentioned this whole concept of the uh, moadim. This parable of the moadim, and it's mentioned in by Moshe Chaim Azado. There's a Ram call in Derek Shem, and I quote. Any achievement that was attained, any great light that radiated at a certain time, when that certain time comes around again, the radiance of that light will shine again, and the fruits of that achievement will be received for whoever is there to receive them. And so it's talking about this, this divine light, this light, light of Hashem, the light of the Torah that essentially shines down at specific moments of times. And like Pesach, like counting the Omer, like Shavuot, these are special times when there's this, this, this light from heaven that, that we have the potential to, to attach ourselves to and elevate through. Um, and, and so there's all these very special times it's, it's mentioned, you know, on, on this note, you know, we're having a lot of, uh, Yom, Yom Tov, not necessarily Yom Tov is coming up. I mean, that will come up, but there's also all these fast days. Yes. And what's interesting is about, Caleb is he had another name besides Caleb. Oh snap! And so, going to it real quick. Uh, Caleb, he was called uh, Ashur. This is from First Chronicles four eight, and it's according to the Talmud Sota twelve a. Ashur is Caleb. Why is he called Ashur? Because he became shochor from fasting, it's like when you when you fast, you're, you're you're not eating, and so your face is getting dim from like all all the light. You know, people who are like suffering or sick, you see kind of or, or sad, you see the light come away from their face. Right. And so he, his face was like this this shochor, this, this blackening, this dimming from fasting. And so uh mentions it goes on to say he was also called avi because he was like a father to his wife miriam by caring for her in her illness and when she got leprosy and Tokoa because he fat uh, he fastened his heart on his father in heaven to prevent ensnaring from the council of spies and so i want to read this idea since we are coming up on a lot of days of fasting this idea that nachman brings down and he mentions that by fasting, essentially, one can essentially collect the sparks of holiness from the places of impurity. 
Oh. And he goes on to say then when essentially when the, the Gentiles whose vitality is drawn from these impure forces, right? Because they're not attached to holiness, they're not attached to uh, like Hashem's ways. Right. Right? That they, they're going to see that they're lifeless. You know, kind of like, you know, our fathers inherited nothing but lies. Yep. First we read in one and a half Torah, it says, then they cast away their own faith and they all turn to the Jewish faith. Wow. And it goes and say, in this way a person perfects his faith. He merits perfect faith. And he is able to refine and purify the foods that he eats. And this is extremely interesting. And I'm going to parallel to, you know, because you know, we have all these fast days coming up. There's also a story in uh, our, our half Torah. And this is a very short story time, like a few sentences. Okay. It says, <laughs> after letting them down, Rachav advised the spies, hide out in the mountains for the next three days in order to throw your pursuers off your track. They will return here, and you can continue on your way home. Rachav had re- reached such a high spiritual level that Ruach HaKodesh rested upon her. Oh. And she correctly predicted the king's delegates will return from the search after three days. And so you have these Jewish men coming to the house of a convert who starts speaking them Ruach HaKodesh. Man. And one of them was Caleb, whose name was like uh, uh, Achshor, because he fasted. And this parallels a very, very well-known story in the books of Acts. Come on. So glad. So you have, yeah, so Kepha, right? Yeah. It's mentioned he has all these animals come down into him, all these impure things, right? Yep. The forces of impurity. What Nachman, Nachman relates that to as like the Gentiles. Yes. And what does he say over and over again? No, I will not eat. I have never touched unclean things because, and what is this really allusion to? Because it comes down three times and he dies, denies Mashiach three times. But why, what was his denial from? From his mouth, from his lips. Yep. And so that's what he has to make a tikkun for. And so, you know, Mashiach says, Mashiach never taught him to eat, that he could eat whatever he want. But what he did teach him is that all, essentially all negative things that we do come out from our, from a heart and exit out of our mouth and we need to be careful with what we say yes because that pollutes us that's and that's why polluted. he said he said he denies eating yes he's making the kun for that yes. so here we have kefa who's constantly saying i'm not going to eat he's closing his mouth he's fasting mm. and then you see cornelius right and yes. he is also fasting Yes. And what ends up happening, Kepha, through his fast mm-hmm. and through uh, Konur's fast, he draws him in. And, and then you have this whole idea, he speaks to Ruach HaKodesh. And, yes. you know, there's this, this idea, do not call unclean what I have called clean. Yes. And I imagine this is what Hashem also says to Yehoshua, because it says that he had to, he had to order Yehoshua to marry Rachav. Mm. And you hear Rachav also before her conversion, she started speaking real Kodesh mm. to these spies. Just like Cornelius. And so there's this, yes, so there's this beautiful precedent uh, for what happens in the Basura, you know, and what happens in this half Torah. And so just, just uh, a strong encouragement. There is, you know, we're coming up on the, the, the three weeks and there's all these like, you know, Tishba'av, and the 17th of Tammuz, and then even later on, the 3rd of uh, Tevet, or 3rd of Tishrei, excuse me, mm-hmm. uh, after Rosh Hashanah, 
there's all these fast days and I'd like us just to be very mindful and take these days very seriously. Uh, you know, it's mentioned in the Gemara to study 30 days prior to these special occasions. You know, the halakha, because it doesn't just affect you. Right. Right. Ramkal says there's this, there's this light that comes down to the earth and we need to take advantage of that. And through our fasting, we can bring those who are far off near. And this isn't just like this divine light is a special light. Because parallel to Yehoshua says Yehoshua Shalach, he sent these people who are representations of him, <laughs> who is the representation of this whole. Like, I don't have time to go into it too much, but yeah. this divine light that was being sent yeah. into Jericho to redeem these people, to to bring them out of their Egypt. Good. So, just practical takeaway: study for these these fast days that come up. Take them very seriously. And, and we could see a lot of people, um, you know, come into the covenant of Hashem and, and their lives be blessed for it. Oh, and, his, and we'll please our master, Hashem, our Can father. Our tone. Well, Havivi, this has been absolutely insane. And I just want to thank you for joining us and uh, just abusing us with wonderful truth. And uh, may Hashem continue to bless you and to increase His word within you. Amen. Baruch Hashem, you as well, Aki. I appreciate these half tours, you know, and just like so much, so much insight, and you know, just what divine, is... divine light. Amen. Mashiach. Well, let us all say Baruch Habab Hashem Adonai. What do we know? What do we know? Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Zor Kol HaOlamim Zadik BeKol HaLorot HaEl HaNeeman HaOmer VeOsei Ham Daber Um Kayem Shekol Davarav Emet Vazerik Neeman Atahu Adonai Eloheinu Vene Emanim Devarekeka or Devarecha Vedavar Echad Mid varecha achor, lo yashuv rekam ki el melek neeman verakaman ata. Baruch ata Adonai, ha el ha neeman bekol davarav viskut Mashiach Yeshua. Amen. We'd like to thank you for joining us for Haftarah Shalak. We, we, we send you a Shavua Tov and a Shalom.